This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 26. Welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I am your host, Kelly Hurst. And I'm Brad Hurst. And we are marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And this podcast is the podcast designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. I like how you said that. Our hope is really very simple. It's just to encourage you in your marriage relationship. We believe that healthy marriage should be a front burner conversation, and so we are here today to help that happen. Well, today we are fortunate to have a special guest with us in the studio. Randy Schrader is the Managing Director for Ronald Blue & Company's branch office here in Houston. He's been there since 1992. He is also a certified financial planner, and Randy assists clients in defining their financial goals, solving their problems, and pursuing a comprehensive and strategic financial and investment plan. And he's just way cool. And he's we're very <laughs> honored to have him. So welcome once again, Randy, to Marriage to the Max. Thank you. So good to be here. Well, so today we're going to talk money part two. We had you uh, in an episode last week that was part one. We um, devoted the topic about money to mostly premarital couples because we do do a lot of work with couples who are dating or who are engaged and getting ready to share their lives together. But we're going to tackle part two of that conversation, which really deals with finances after you've said I do, what just some good healthy tools of how to manage your money together after you're married. So money continues to top the charts as the number one reason for arguments in marriage, marital dissatisfaction, and some experts say even reason for divorce. And so we touched on this a little bit in part one, but Randy, why do you think money plays such an important role in marriage? Well, it's near and dear to all of our hearts. You know, we, one of the things that we talked about at the tail end of our um, last session, I think, is relevant to that conversation, and that is that, you know, we, um, we tend to uh, use money to meet emotional needs that we have. And, and so, you know, if, if I am using money to meet my emotional need for respect and I am – um, putting pressure on my spouse uh, to um, by, by m- me deciding that I'm going to buy a Mercedes, mm-hmm. my my spouse may not feel like that you know we can afford that, but I don't care because I want it mm-hmm. because. And I might not even be able to articulate this. Mm. I might not be willing to articulate it quite this raw and vulnerably. But, you know, it could be that I'm just wanting to impress my friends and neighbors to meet that need for respect. And therefore, um, I'm putting my family into a precarious financial situation. Um, Well, in the same way, my spouse is using, tending to use money to meet needs that she has. And so it's just, you know, when we don't look to God to meet needs first, mm-hmm. and the, we therefore look to money to meet needs instead of God, 
that's a recipe for conflict. And so money just becomes a really flammable uh, issue. I can honestly say that we've never had a fight over one of us wanting to buy a Mercedes. <laughs> I can honestly say that, too. <laughs> it's, it's never been on our radar. You so. notice he didn't say we've never had a fight about money. Yeah. I know. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for that to finish out. What yeah. do you mean by that? <laughs> well, uh, Randy, do you think that the way that we were raised plays an important role in our mindset and our outlook and our relationship with money? I mean, obviously it does. Huge, huge. Big, bigger than most of us realize. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's why we encourage couples to tell each other their money story. I'd encourage you to go home tonight if you're uh, able and, and ask your spouse uh, this question. Say, you know, I know a little bit about your childhood, but tell me more mm-hmm. about specifically what did you learn from your parents mm-hmm. about money, mm-hmm. directly and indirectly, mm-hmm. by what they said and what they did, what they didn't do? Mm-hmm. Um, and what did you come away with? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what convictions, beliefs, and deeply held ideas did mm-hmm. you come away with from the family you grew up in so that you can really better know your spouse? And I like what you said, indirectly and even what they didn't do. Like, for instance, if you came from a family where your parents didn't talk about money at all or, or even with the kids, that reveals potentially a lot about maybe the mindset that you're bringing into your family. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And my wife and I came into marriage with very different family of origin um, background and issues. Mm-hmm. and uh, As most couples do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We did too. We I remember uh, being early married and uh, realizing in the area of money, you know, I grew up in a family that had two, my parents were always very hardworking people, but we were kind of a paycheck to paycheck household. And so we didn't have a lot of luxuries and vacations were something that you saved up all year for and then took one vacation a year. And, and then Brett grew up in a more affluent household where they just, you know, had a lake house and kids that when they got their driver's license got a car. And so it was just kind of a different experience. But what we discovered early on was that we were still both taught a lot of value around money. Mm-hmm. And so it really, it wasn't so much an issue that we grew up in different ways, you know, as far as how much money we had, mm-hmm. but we were taught a lot of the same values about money. And I, that was our common ground, I think. Yeah, that was really helpful that we both even in the early days, I think. Yeah, we both valued a dollar, yeah. even though you had more dollars growing and, up and than I did. And both had a strong work ethic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Too. But, uh, yeah, that's a great point. Well, how important is it that, uh, you know, other issues that come up related to money and even just kind of how you organize money, you know, for instance, how important is it that spouses know where all the, uh, let's say, vital documents are, you know, insurance papers, uh, will titles, uh, deed to the house, tax information, investment documents, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we talked before that, you know, maybe in your family, in your marriage, maybe both of you split some duties. Maybe somebody does the week-to-week bookkeeping and somebody else does the end-of-year bookkeeping. But sometimes the downside of, of one person taking one piece of that is that the other person, if something were to happen, God forbid, 
that the other person wouldn't even know where to look for, let's say, the tax information. Yeah, that's so good. And, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be real complex. What I do is I have uh, one blue three-ring binder hmm. that has all the key stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And so there's tabs in there for, you know, where the will is, because our will is actually original and our will is actually at the lawyer's office. Mm-hmm. But there's a certificate in there that the lawyer gave me that right. shows where it is. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the insurance policies and that kind of thing. So all Stacy needs to know is where is the blue binder? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Find that binder. Yeah, so I hear you saying, generally speaking, the simpler you can keep things, probably the better yeah, off you yeah. are. Yeah, don't, don't put it in a zillion different files right. all over the place. Just like we're always encouraging couples to be ongoing students of marriage, whether they've been married 5, 10, 15, 30, 40 years, we also think it's very vitally important for uh, a couple to at least once a year have some type of macro conversation about their short and long-term financial goals, you know, to maybe kind of assess what their net worth is, what their debt status is, you know, what their assets are, maybe make some decisions related to all that that are going to be for the greater good of the family. What is your commentary about that? Yeah, I, th- I think that once-a-year rhythm is actually a great um, a great timing and a great frequency on that. And And I would encourage couples to just determine what's the best time of the year. For some people, they love doing that at year end Mm -hmm. to mark uh, the new year. Others, they are more driven around the school year, and so they'd rather do it in the summertime. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, most of you know how to use Excel spreadsheets, and so it's pretty simple. Just Mm -hmm. take an Excel spreadsheet and put your assets and the liabilities on the left-hand side and the dollar amount, uh, um, you know, in the column next to it, mm-hmm. and then every year add another column. Mm-hmm. And then just use that as your conversation piece mm-hmm. to start with at that annual meeting mm-hmm. to just say, okay, this is what we have and where it is. Mm-hmm. And it, it summarizes your whole world mm-hmm. because your net worth statement basically encapsulates everything you own and everything you owe. Right, right. Very important. At the last uh, episode, we broached the subject of the bad word budget that people don't like to talk about. And in fact, I like what you refer to it as the spending plan, which sounds a lot more fun. Um, a little less intimidating. <laughs> and uh, so what I want to ask you for married couples is, I, I, I don't think anyone would argue that a budget is important. And yeah, we wish we were on a budget. You know, we'll talk to couples sometimes who just kind of, they know they've got to get their finances in order. But how do you encourage couples to just start doing a budget who've never really done one before together? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, so um, I would say take that same Excel spreadsheet that we were just talking about mm-hmm. and create a second worksheet in there, mm-hmm. okay? And then just create a column uh, down the far left that has every different way, place, category that you spend money. Mm-hmm. And then just, um, you know, throughout the month, record what you're spending in that uh, column. And then that way you get to the end of the year mm-hmm. and that spreadsheet will 
add it up for you. Mm-hmm. And then you can look back and see, okay, what was my electric bill? What did it, what did it average over the year? Mm-hmm. And then that way it'll help you to plan for, uh, you know, updating that budget for the next annual mm-hmm. period. Right. Now, for some couples that have been married a while, they've tried this and, and it didn't work. And so they have a mental block mm. that, ah, been there, done that. We're not going to go there again. You know, that did nothing but create war. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, basically you're not probably going to do it unless you have an outside third party mm. coach you through it. So whether it's a professional that you pay to help or a friend that'll mm-hmm. do it for free, mm-hmm. humble yourself and get some help mm-hmm. because you're probably going to let the emotional baggage of the past mm. stop you um, from doing it. So just be honest. If you know that you're not going to do it, get help. Right. But if, if you don't have that baggage, then start building that Excel spreadsheet. Or if you're really high tech, you know, buy Quicken and start keeping Mm. your checkbook online and that, Mm -hmm. um, mint.com is another website that consolidates your spending from credit cards and checking Mm. account Mm -hmm. into one place. Uh, check that out too. That's another free resource. Well, and I think you raised a good point uh, a few minutes ago, and I think people forget this about a budget or spending plan or whatever you want to call it, is that it's just a tool to use for you. It's working for you. And like you said, if uh, at the end of the year, you can amend it, you know, and you can make it more accurate. And depending on maybe a change in income, more income, less income or whatever, you can redesign it together I personally think if you can look at it as a positive experience together, as, as insane as it might sound, it might even be fun to do it as a couple and just it kind of helps you dream a little bit and think, you know, what, what do we want to do together with, our, with whatever our limited income is, you know? That's a great point. And, and I would just say for those of you in the marriage, and there's usually one of you of the two that's mm-hmm. a little bit more detailed and interested in the budget than the other one, <laughs> we could call you. We have a name for you, and that's a budget Nazi. <laughs> and, and so I've been called the budget Nazi in my house before, and I've tried to grow through that so that that title doesn't stick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so if you're the budget Nazi, uh, don't hang on to that and don't use it to beat up your spouse, to mm-hmm. shame your spouse, to control your spouse, manipulate your spouse. Mm-hmm. Be gracious, gentle, generous. Mm-hmm. Use it as a tool, as you said, mm-hmm. to achieve goals and to be generous. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and the budget Nazi also needs to understand how important it is for the non Nazi. <laughs> Uh, to <laughs> the non-Nazi to be involved, you know that it's really beneficial for the marriage and for the spending plan for them to have some input. Now you may be the person I, I don't care let let him or her run it. You know I'm just that's just not important to me. But it is it is vital to have some emotional uh, and practical investment in the budgeting process. Would, would you agree? Yeah, totally. It, it needs to be a partnership. I mean, you know, when the Bible says that uh, husband and wife get married and the two become one, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's a pretty big lofty um, goal for two people to actually progressively throughout their life 
move more and more towards oneness oh, yeah. in the way that they think, act, live, work. And so you can't really, I don't think, say, well, yeah, we're, we've become one in every area except money. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually hear that a lot. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of people that say, yeah, I have a great marriage, mm-hmm. great marriage, <laughs> except in the area of money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's such a huge area. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's one of the top, most important areas. Right. So I don't know. I just don't think that that's uh, really getting uh, to where God wants us mm-hmm. to kind of say it's okay to just have one area that's not working. Right. Mm-hmm. And that be money. Right, exactly. So from an encouragement standpoint, when you're working with couples and there's maybe one spouse who's just really committed to getting control of the finances and wants to be good stewards with their money, and the other spouse just really has no interest in doing that, how do you encourage them to move forward together? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the one that has the interest in it obviously is going to have to be the one to, um, you know, kind of lead the way um, in it and gain the healthy skills and mechanisms, methodologies. Um, but they need to do it, you know, gently and humbly. Mm. They're, they're going to have a tendency to come across to their spouse like, I know how to do this. I've got it figured out, mm-hmm. and I have all the answers. I'm gonna yeah. fix you, and you need to, you know, obey my spending plan. Mm-hmm. I think if you approach it with a, a much greater measure of humility, mm-hmm. you will get very, you know, you'll you'll just get way further down the road with your spouse, mm-hmm. and so approach it more with an attitude of let's try it this way, mm-hmm. and. And if, if it doesn't work, we'll modify it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want your input. I want your system. That's why when people come to me and start talking about their spending, I don't try and, and force them into one predetermined plan mm-hmm. of how to do it. Mm-hmm. I start by saying, well, so how have you been doing it? Mm-hmm. And what didn't work for you? Right. Because oftentimes they'll say, well, yeah, we, we've done this and this and this and this. And you know, it all worked, but, but this one thing, well, all I got to do is tweak that one thing that they may be, it just may be a blind spot. Right. And they don't need to revamp their whole system. Mm-hmm. They just need some tweaking. And voila, they're in a better place. Yeah. And you're listening to Marriage to the Max.
Welcome back to Marriage to the Max. We're continuing our conversation with, with Randy Schrader of Ronald Blue and Company. And we have been having a riveting discussion about money and marriage, and we want to continue on. Um, I read, Randy, recently that it's helpful for a couple to know where they are financially vulnerable. For example, you know, to, to think of the areas of, say, job security or overspending or not enough income or too much debt. Is this something that couples should kind of be aware of where they're a little bit more vulnerable financially? Like their panic buttons, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think if if you're gonna be um, if you're gonna be unified in your marriage, then you, you really need to know what are the stress points. Um, and you know, and so if your if your spouse starts panicking when the checking account gets below five hundred dollars, <laughs> um, and and that's because their dad told them when they were growing up that, you know, any person that has a checking account less than 500 is on the bank brink of, you know, edge of bankruptcy or right. something, you know. Going to the poorhouse. <laughs> then they're going to have, you know, red lights going off when it gets under $500. Mm-hmm. And, and so while that may not be um, a healthy long-term um, way to operate, way to live, yeah. you know, maybe they need to let go of that $500 threshold. Um, you still need to know that, talk mm-hmm. about it and get your arms around. What are those, uh, you know, those risk levels and, and things that, um, you know, that are important to your spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not just so that you can change your spouse so that you can, because ultimately it's about loving mm-hmm. well. Right. I mean, that's the greatest of all commandments. Mm -hmm. So apply the great commandment in your financial world. Mm -hmm. If God said the greatest of all commandments is to love God and love your neighbor, Mm -hmm. well, guess who your number one neighbor is? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, so if money is, um, you know, if if Luke 16 says you can't love God and money, then money is going to be that critical. Mm -hmm. Then we got to love our spouse really well at the point of money. Right. So ask God, God, give me wisdom to be able to love Stacy really well mm-hmm. as it relates to money. And speaking of loving others, why don't you tell us how important giving and tithing is? I know for us as a young couple that, that didn't know much, uh, we kind of locked in, fortunately, on no bad debt, we'll call it, and we were also committed to tithing, which we have been throughout our marriage. And uh, boy, that has, we believe that has served us well and kept us out of, of a lot of trouble, both on the maybe the negative side of looking at it and the positive side, the tithing side. Yeah. What, what, yeah. what would you have to say about that? Well, you know, also in Luke 16, it says, if you have not been faithful in the use of money, God will not entrust true riches mm-hmm. to you. That's one of the most powerful and sobering verses in the Bible to me mm-hmm. because it says that money actually becomes a key to unlock true riches. Mm-hmm. In other words, my faithfulness. I would encourage you to let that word faithful just ring in your ears mm-hmm. of I need to be faithful with money in order to unlock mm-hmm. God's bigger uh, chest of 
riches, which is so much beyond money, right? To just every aspect of blessing He wants to give you. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving just becomes a key piece of that faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can say, "Well, Lord, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living a materialistic life, only giving two percent of my income." Uh, to you, and I've got lots of credit card debt, uh, but I'm but I'm faithful, and I, I'm looking forward to those true riches you're talking about. <laughs> you know, so I think that, <clears throat> that giving giving breaks the 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 bondage of money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, money is just a a lion crouching at the mm-hmm. door, yeah. waiting to devour you, mm-hmm. and it's got that level of power yeah. to devour, destroy, and and we have an enemy. Right. Um, that is using money to kill, steal, and destroy, mm. John 10. Right. And therefore, you know, we, we've got to do whatever we have to to keep that enemy from killing, stealing, and destroying in the area of money. And giving is a big, big part of breaking that bondage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of our lives are taking, you know, even as believers, it's still, we live in a you know, materialistic consumer world. And so a lot of, we just take, take, take. And when we give, it just kind of gets us out of that mindset of being a taker and reminds us that it is better to give. You know, I, I love that. And not patting ourselves on the back in any way, but because we were just taught at a kind of a young age to do it. But God has, I know he's blessed us financially oh, yeah. because of that. And so, and it's funny when we think back to when we didn't have any money at all mm-hmm. and we were tithing, you know, I don't know, we Brett used below. to ask the question, is it harder to tithe when you don't have any money <laughs> or is it harder when you have a lot of money in the bank, you know, and I, it's. We think the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> either, either way, it's, you know, a discipline either way. <laughs> and yet, you know, what's interesting is that most people would answer that question that, it's it's going to be a lot easier to give when I when I'm making more money in the yeah. future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And my experience of 30 years in the financial services industry would say that it won't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. That you, you, as you make more money, you're going to start looking at the dollar amount mm-hmm. of the giving and go and, I can't give that much. Yeah. yeah. And, you know and so when you're making 30,000 you know, you say if somebody asks you, so when you get to making a hundred thousand, will it be easy to give ten percent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and they would say, oh yeah, because they're thinking percent. Yes. But when they then get to a hundred thousand and they go ten thousand dollars, <laughs> I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so it it is not easier. Right. So that's uh, when you get uh, to where you're making more. So start now, mm-hmm. develop the. Uh, consistency, mm-hmm. and it will carry you through life. Yeah, because the mindset is the mindset, no matter where you are, you know, externally. So I like that. Well, um, you know, I like that you've been keeping things really simple. Mm-hmm. I just think anyone who can talk about finances and keep it easy to understand and not make people feel overwhelmed, I think it has a real gift. Um, do you think that a general good rule of thumb for couples is that 10-10-80 model? And we just kind of learned this when we were young. Mm-hmm. Give 10%, save 10%, spend 80%. Is that a doable thing for most couples? Yeah, it's a great starting place. Mm-hmm. It, it really is um, because it establishes, you know, the priorities. Um, and, and and again, make sure that when you do that, it's it's not eighty ten ten. It's ten ten eighty. Yeah. Okay. Because pay God and pay yourself, and sure. then yeah, like 
And then don't get locked in over time on the 10 percent, the two 10 percent pieces. I would just give this caution on those two pieces long term. Mm-hmm. You, you can get to the point where you oversave, you mm-hmm. overaccumulate, mm-hmm. and you actually are hoarding. Mm-hmm. And you actually are laying up treasure on earth mm-hmm. and not in heaven. So you may get to the point where you need to set a finish line mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to stop saving. I have saved enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing on the giving is, you know what? The more you make, you know, increase that percentage. Have a goal that says, yeah, if I'm making $50,000 a year, I'll give 10%. But when I get to the point where I'm making 100000 mm-hmm. I'm going to give 12%. Mm-hmm. And if I'm making 200000 I'm going to give 14%. You know, to him who much is given, much is required, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. make it a proportional thing that mm-hmm. says the more I have, the more I'm going to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that you said that about saving too much because I had a grandfather who ha- is gone now, but when we were growing up, he was just an uber saver. And he worked hard and he just believed that you should save every penny. And there were times when he wouldn't turn the AC on and we, you know, it'd be 100 degrees outside. <laughs> We'd just be sweating in the house, but there was money in the bank, you know. <laughs> Kind of a point of diminishing return there. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, Randy, we know that you, like us, you're with couples all the time and uh, that you frequently work with couples that don't see eye to eye on finances. Uh, that happens all the time. What would you say is maybe the most common or most typical financial struggle that you see in the wide world of finances with, with couples? Yeah, it's, you know, it actually relates to a conversation we had last week on this where we were talking about uh, the difference between focusing on short-term and long-term uh, goals and priorities mm-hmm. that, and, and, and more common than not, one of the spouses, very often the, uh, the wife is going to focus on the short-term issues, needs, priorities, and, and would rather take some money out of savings to put it towards the kid's summer camp than to not send them to summer camp and to keep that money in retirement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's some wisdom to that. You know, right. In other words, it's invest in your kids while they're there mm-hmm. because one day, very quickly, they're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have this big pile of money, but you're not going to have the same ability to uh, invest in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that tension of the short and the long term is a uh, is a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, you know. I don't, you know, dealing with these things is is not easy. So if you have conflict over these things, don't don't think you're you're a failure. Don't think you're weird. Don't think you're broken, mm-hmm. and and that there's something inherently fundamentally wrong. With you, it means you're human, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you are struggling with it. Mm-hmm. But don't give up and don't shame your spouse mm-hmm. and don't beat your spouse up because you're going to end up creating more pain that has to be healed, um, you know, over these issues. And, and we know for sure that shame has no tangible benefit at all for moving a couple forward on this or any other issue. Larry Burkett, who, of course, was a well-known, noted financial author, was quoted as saying, money is either the best or worst area of communication in our marriages. Do you agree with that, Randy? You know, I think there is a lot of of truth to that. Um, I probably wouldn't word it quite that black and white in that regard, because I think most people... 
would would listen to that phrase and they'd say, well, it's not the best, so I guess that must mean it's the worst. <laughs> if there's point. only two options, yeah. then I guess I have to go with the worst. <laughs> but you know what? It's it's really an issue of are you making progress? Mm-hmm. Are you on a path? Can you look at this and say, you know what? We're not where we need to be, want to be, will be, but we're not where we were last year either. Mm-hmm. And if you can say that, then – you're on in the right trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so is your communication stuck in the ditch, going nowhere, and you can't talk about money and you need to get help? You know, or are you making progress? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a little better way of maybe couching that. Yeah, I like the way you said that too. Final question for the part two episode. Do you think it's possible to leave a positive financial legacy for your children and your grandchildren? Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not, not, not possible. Um, unless God's helping you. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Um, and, and if he, if you're tapping into the 2300 verses on money and you're getting his wisdom and you're asking for uh, his wisdom, um, then you're going to be able to pass on some incredible uh, biblical financial principles mm-hmm. uh, to your kids that are going to bless them deeply. And I, my kids are 25, 23, 20. They, they're now in that adult zone where I'm starting to see them manage their own money. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to see the fruit of all of the years of investing in them, mm-hmm. training them and modeling and man, it's a joy. They're not perfect. They're mm-hmm. they're not doing it perfectly. But neither did I. They're mm-hmm. further down the road than I was right. at that age. That's gratifying, isn't it? Because yeah, really. I remember when our kids were younger, and you know, they would say, "Well, you know, Dad, you guys are the most restrictive parents at you know at our <laughs> school at their Christian school they were going to." And we'd say, "And your point is, <laughs> you know, you're not doing without." And I think now they would say, you know. <laughs> It wasn't all that bad. <laughs> Take these three. I, I heard a, a pastor say this recently. I loved it. He said, I'm, I tried to teach my kids to live simply, work diligently, and give generously. Mm. And I think if you could just boil it down to something you can get your arms around, mm-hmm. that uh, y- you know, you're teaching them to not be materialistic right. by living simply, mm-hmm. don't Ha- don't you know? Allow yourself to have to have the latest, newest, greatest of everything. Um, have a work ethic. Be willing to work diligently, and then give generously. Because mm-hmm. if you do those first two without the third, mm-hmm. then you know you've just created somebody that's living simply and hoarding money, mm-hmm. and they're not being generous. Right. And and so any two of those three without the third has a real hole. But if you can do those three, you're going to have some kids you're going to be really proud of. That's awesome. Well, of course, money is a big, vast issue and one that we have really just barely scratched the surface of today. But we are committed to revisiting this topic again and again on this podcast. 
And so, Randy, we just thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. You bet. It's been great to be with you. I know that our listeners have been encouraged today. Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. You can also check out homeencouragement.org, or you can email us at thehursts, that's H-U-R-S-T-S, at homeencouragement.org. We also hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and we would love it if you would rate this podcast on iTunes. Yay. Rate it with a five. <laughs> Give us six this, if they'll let this you. This will help us build our audience and allow us to encourage even more couples. Well, until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all.